0: Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Trinity Christian School, a private K-12 religious school in Fayetteville, is the state's largest recipient of taxpayer-funded private school vouchers, receiving $1.7 million since the General Assembly launched the Opportunity Scholarship Program in 2014. Trinity is also home to one of the state's elite high school basketball programs, producing highly coveted college recruits and an NBA lottery pick last year. Earlier this year, its head coach, who is also a teacher at the school, was convicted of embezzling nearly $400,000 in employees' state tax withholdings. But that's only part of the story. You'll have to stick around and hear the rest of it on today's show. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines: a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, the State Board of Education voted to accept the recommendation of Innovative School District Superintendent, Eric Hall, to make Robinson County's Southside Ashpole Elementary School the first and only school in the state's new program that plans to turn over operations of some of the state's lowest performing schools to charter management organizations. By law, Robinson County must decide by February 1st whether they will turn the school over or close it down. Several school districts, including Robinson, protested inclusion in the effort, which is modeled after programs in other states that have shown lackluster results. Asked by one state board education member if only one school was selected due to community opposition, Superintendent Hall said, community pushback is not my concern. A new joint legislative task force on education finance reform held its first meeting last week. It is tasked with creating a new way to distribute the more than $9 billion the state spends on K-12 education in North Carolina. The task force is co-chaired by Representative Craig Horn, Republican from Union County, and Senator Mike Lee, Republican from New Hanover County. While many education groups have urged the General Assembly to consider adequacy of school funding, co-chair Craig Horn says the task force will not focus on need, but rather the system used to distribute the funds. Finally, U.S. House and Senate Republican leaders unveiled their tax reform package last week in Washington, called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, The proposal eliminates a number of education-related tax deductions and credits to help fund corporate corporate and personal income tax cuts. The bill would eliminate a $250 deduction for teachers who purchase classroom supplies, as well as eliminates deductions for student loan interest payments and education expenses, and repeals deductions that help part-time students and and blocks private universities from using tax-free bonds for construction. The bill was met with immediate opposition from a number of higher education groups, for example, which argued that the measure would rob institutions of vital dollars and increase the price of college for debt-laden students who were already strapped by their families' finances. Locally, Duke University's Vice President of Government Affairs, Michael Schoenfeld, called it a tax on education. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about Trinity Christian School in Fayetteville. And our first guest has been reporting on Trinity Christian for, for several months. Uh, Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay is the senior writer and researcher at the Public School Forum of North Carolina and just published a, uh, uh, a pretty powerful piece last week on Trinity. So thank you for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me on, Keith.
0: All right, so you've been tracking the developments of Trinity Christian um, for, I guess, about eight months. What do we know about this particular school right now?
1: Well, I can tell you that what I've learned uh, so far is that Trinity Christian School is a private school that has been in operation since the 1990s. Um, And it's also the state's largest recipient of private school vouchers, taking in roughly $1.7 million uh, since 2014, which was the program's um, start date. And
0: we talk about private school vouchers and kind of use those terms interchangeably, but that's what. Opportunity Scholarship Program—the official name—that's what we're talking about: pr- vouchers for kids to attend a private, most—and in this, in, in North Carolina anyway, almost all religious schools.
1: That's right. Um, a couple other things I've learned about the school: uh, it has a highly competitive basketball program. Most recently, uh, one of its graduates was Dennis Dennis Smith Jr., who has um, spent a year at NC State and has moved on to the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. And also recently, one of their current players, Joey Baker, uh, signed on to Duke, so uh, or has committed to Duke. So it's a really competitive private school basketball program. And finally, the the focus of of this school that I've paid attention to is that its coach, Heath Van Dievender, um, was recently convicted of embezzling roughly $400,000 in state payroll taxes from employees um, at the school. And while he's repaid that debt, he is Completing a three-month jail sentence on weekends while continuing to coach and teach at the school. Right,
0: we have this picture on the. This is when, from the court case earlier this year. Now, Mr. Van um, D- Van Devender, mm-hmm. um, like he's a coach, but the, 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 he was actually responsible for um, payroll and submitting payroll taxes, which is really the, what the sort of the at least the legal trouble that he got into was about um, essentially withholding. Um, employees' payroll taxes and not submitting it to the state. That's right. What did uh, you? I think you actually went to the uh, the court. I mean, what sort of what was the sort of the gist of uh, their defense?
1: Um, so those funds went back into the general operating funds of uh, the school. And the defense um, on the part of Mr. Van Devender was that this was a school that was struggling, and he was doing his best to keep it up and running. And that's why he failed to send those taxes on.
0: Now, your story, and it's on our website, ncforum.org, and we'll have it on our link in Education Matters, says that um, in spite of being convicted, um, he's still teaching and coaching at Trinity today.
1: That's right. Um, That's what I learned from both uh, officials at the Cumberland County Detention Center as well as... Uh, school officials that he continues to teach and coach, and it's notable that this can occur at a private school even if it's publicly funded, because there's nothing in the law that would require the school to stop employing him.
0: So you mentioned detentioner. So he's not—he wasn't just convicted. He actually was—is uh, serving time.
1: That's right. He's serving a three-month uh, jail sentence on the weekends, um, and in between the weekends, he's coaching and teaching at the
0: school. Wow. So. Is that, I mean, is that normal for a private school? I mean, I assume, I mean, I guess I would assume that there would be criminal background checks. There would be some rules that would prohibit right. uh, someone um, so, uh, either either currently serving time, right. uh, but also someone who has been convicted of stealing money from the school in some way.
1: So the only thing that's in the Opportunity Scholarship Program statute that relates to this sort of thing is that the head of the school has to undergo a criminal background check. Beyond that, the school is permitted to do what it pleases in terms of employing convicted felons or not.
0: And the head of the school is? The head
1: of the school is the coach's father, okay. Dennis
0: Van Diemen.. Okay. All right, Well, so what else do we know about this school?
1: So we don't know a ton because it is a private school, even though last year 66% of its revenues were from publicly funded school vouchers. Um, they don't have to tell us what they teach or who they employ, unlike public schools. Um, I've asked Mr. Van Dievender, the head of the school, to visit and see what it's like um, inside. What what kind of things do they teach? What is the environment like for school children, given that it receives so many taxpayer dollars? And he has refused to let me come and refused to talk with me.
0: Right, yes. Yeah, so I mean, you did reach out, obviously, to yes, the school for yes, your story, both, right. both to the uh, head of the school as well as uh, the coach, and that's they right. both declined.
1: That's right. Um, I also have learned through the course of my reporting over the last eight months that this is a school that has a history of tax delinquency. Um, over the 90s and 2000s, they have been delinquent in paying federal and state um, payroll taxes, which they have since repaid, but not after um, encountering some pushback from the feds and the state. Um, finally, they do have to submit a financial review to the state because they receive so many taxpayer funds. Um, Only a handful of voucher schools actually have to do this at this time. And what was curious about their financial review is that they included a note that they're opposed to the payment of Social Security payroll taxes on religious grounds, which I thought was really fascinating, given that they benefit from a system of taxation.
0: Well, it's not just benefit, I mean, like <clears throat> you pointed out, which I, I didn't realize until just this past week, that 66 percent of their entire operating funds, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a stretch to say this, without the Opportunity Scholarship Program, I mean, this school would not be, it may not even be in existence, but certainly it's propping up. Um, their finances
1: yes I mean it's certainly going a long way in terms of making sure that they stay operational All
0: right. Well, I wanna, I wanna we, we talked about basketball briefly we talked mm-hmm. about Dennis Smith junior great player apparently Joey Baker mm-hmm. is gonna be probably be a phenomenal player at Duke um, but they're not the only school um, private school and, and, and voucher school we've got some graphics we want to pull up on the screen right. now um, you've been reporting just before you joined the forum and other uh, places about um, the voucher program. Tell us a little bit about what you found. Yeah,
1: um, a couple of things really interesting. First of all, there's sort of been a larger pattern that's come into focus here since 2014 when I started paying attention to the voucher program. And I've come to realize that of the top 10 schools in private schools in the state of North Carolina that receive publicly funded school vouchers, Five of those have elite
0: basketball programs.
1: Right, um, and they're
0: showing on the screen right now.
1: That's right. Those are those are the top five. In addition, the Fayetteville Observer published a story about a week and a half ago looking at the rise of private school basketball powerhouses in Fayetteville. And I took note of the fact as I read that story that four out of the five schools they mention are huge recipients of private school vouchers. And so, so there's we said, a trend I'm noticing. Yeah, so here. we said
0: 1.7 million, and I know it wasn't on the screen, but the, the, how much are we talking about? And this is again. This is just since the program started a couple of years ago. 1.7 million. Mm-hmm. How much for the other schools at the top? So
1: it ranges from six to seven hundred thousand dollars annually, um, or at least since 2014, right. up to 1.3 million. 1.7 million, of course, is the most for Trinity Christian, Word of God Christian Academy in Raleigh, 1.3 million, um, and and the others are pretty close behind that.
0: Right. So, that I mean, that raises a lot of questions, I think. Um, uh, and we haven't, um, you haven't gotten into the reporting on this yet about sort of, and, and, and I should say, we're not suggesting at all that there's anything, um, um, uh, you know, untoward going on or illegal or anything at these other schools, but just pointing out the fact that you really do see um, a cluster um, of private religious schools that are now suddenly becoming sort of big-time basketball programs.
1: Yeah, I think it just raises a lot of questions about, are taxpayers subsidizing high-quality educational environments for low-income children? It's hard to know that, given that we don't get to know what the educational outcomes are for these students, or are taxpayers subsidizing big-time athletic programs designed to funnel players to professional sports?
0: Right. Um, just to, just a, a sort of a last question. We're going to be we're going to talk to some of the sort of the policymakers and, and, and regulatory folks. But as you have tr- tried to report on this, I mean, are sort of what are the, uh, the limits? Are, are there really limits on what you can find?
1: Um, in terms of educational outcomes? Just on just uh,
0: uh, information? Yeah,
1: I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, these are still private schools. They really don't have to share a whole lot with the public in terms of what they okay. do inside their buildings. Great.
0: Well, thanks for that. We'll keep looking for more reporting. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about private voucher schools with the agency and a legislator that oversees the program. But first, see if you can answer this question. Over the next 10 years, approximately how much money will North Carolina spend on the state's school voucher program? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer E? What began as a $10 million allocation, the state's private school voucher program is now slated to grow to $145 million annually for a total of $1 billion over 10 years. Joining us now to continue our discussion, we have Catherine Marker. Catherine is the director of grants, training, and outreach at the North Carolina State Education Assistance Authority. They have uh, uh, some oversight and accountability responsibility for the Opportunity Scholarship Program. And next to Catherine, we have Representative Billy Richardson, uh, um, Representative Richardson from my hometown, Fayetteville. We appreciate you being here uh, today. Catherine, I want to start with you. The SEA has been around. A lot of people maybe not know, might not know who they are unless they've been involved in some sort of forgivable loan program. Actually, the Teaching Fellows program that we used to run uh, ran through that. But you've been around since the 60s, but in the last few years, a lot of new programs have come your way. Uh, Personal education savings accounts are coming. You've got the disability voucher program, this opportunity scholarship program. So we've heard um, what we were talking about today, about this one particular school and some of these schools. Can you tell me a little bit about how schools that participate in the program, sort of what are the requirements from your your agency's perspective?
2: A school that wants to participate in either the Opportunity Scholarship or the Disabilities Grant needs to first be registered with the Division of Non Public Education, which is North Carolina's agency that oversees private schools and home schools. So, if a school's registered with DNPE, that can then apply to participate in either or both of the K 12 programs. Um, then they have to turn in some documentation, sign a participation agreement, submit a background check for the staff member with the highest decision-making authority. So when a school submits the participation agreement, they agree to do a number of things, um, such as submit uh, a standardized test score for students in third grade and up each year. They need to um, agree to apply the funds to the student's account in a timely manner and return funds for a student that withdraws in a timely manner. Larger schools have two additional requirements. Um, if a school receives more than $300,000 in a year from one of the programs, then that school needs to submit a financial review. Um, and so at the close of the fiscal year, that school is responsible for submitting that financial review to SEAA.
0: Well, well that's, and that's, a, that's an interesting point because, I mean, there are, like you said, there are, um, you know only the sort of larger school three hundred thousand dollars which mm-hmm. certainly the ones we showed on the screen the top ten those were all in that category sure. so including Trinity right um, um, and yet uh, clearly there were at least some financial issues is or what you're asked to look at in terms of I, mean, what, I, guess, I guess my question, what does a financial review look like, and, and not to put too fine a point on it, how does someone take $400,000 out of state payroll taxes and it not show up in a financial review?
2: Well, I would point out that a financial review is not an audit. So that, that's, you know, for some people that they might be interchangeable, but in terms of accounting principles, that's, that's a different, um, uh, it's, just, it's more of a statement. Right. Um, so it's a statement of, you know, revenues, cash flows, it's a statement of assets. Um, and so we collect that and, you know, uh, on a case-by-case basis, we reach out to the school if we feel like it's not clear or if there's some, you know, issue that needs to be clarified.
0: Right. Now, um, Representative Richardson, you're, well, again, you, like I said, you're from Fayetteville, but you, you're in the General Assembly. Um, the policies are set. The things that um, uh, Catherine's talking about are the things that uh, you and your colleagues put into place and say this is, this is what you need to look at and this is what you don't have to. I mean, what are your thoughts on, again, I guess what you heard about Trinity and then overall as far as the accountability of the program?
3: Well, we're guilty of of not um, living up to the public trust. Uh, When people pay their hard-earned wages to taxes uh, and those taxes go to things such as roads or education, it is imperative that we give the folks that have the oversight uh, to make certain that they, they have the tools necessary to make sure that that, that sacred trust that the citizen you know, gives us and with their tight, hard-earned tax dollars is spent wisely. And I can just tell you now, one of our big concerns and debate on the floor was the lack of oversight of this voucher program. United States, and this is really important for, for your listeners to, or viewers to understand, the United States is dead last of the 28 developing nations in teacher compensation, dead last. We are among the last in the nation in teacher compensation. And yet here we are taking hard earned taxpayer dollars and, and, and a system that is already stressed to the max and we're putting it out in an unsupervised way to these programs that are just not doing a very good job with it and we need to do a full
0: scale audit of this because there's too many problems cropping up. Right. Well, that, Kat, let me ask you about it, Kat. You um, You mentioned about the financial review, but I mean, like for example, um, does the State Education Authority, do you look at um, curriculum? Do you look at uh, how the schools are doing, how the students are performing, or, or is that part of your, um, I guess, charge from the General Assembly to do? It, it is not.
2: We do uh, collect test scores from students. The schools need to submit them. But we don't have oversight of curriculum or programming at the schools. We're a financial aid agency, essentially, and it's our job to make sure that the, the funds um, go to the student's account at the school and that, um, you know, that families understand how those monies are applied on their behalf.
0: Right. Now, um, again, I'm not, uh, you, you only speak on what you feel comfortable uh, commenting on, but with, with what I, what, you, what is public record about Trinity Christian, for example? Is there anything about a teacher serving time on the weekends and teaching during the week that would violate any of your rules um, in terms of them staying in the program? I mean, we
2: collect a background check from the staff member with the highest decision-making authority, so that would be the head of school. Um, we don't have oversight over the, the staff in any
0: way. And I, did, I should just point out, I also, I did talk to the Division of Nonpublic Education. I talked to the Assistant Secretary of uh, the mm-hmm. Department of Administration over there, and, and then they pointed out, very similar to what you said, there are things that we're asked to, to, to fill out. It's more or less a registry. They have five staff members over there that oversee 80,000 homeschools and all the private schools and, and a lot of these new programs. So, mm-hmm. um, I, She didn't say this, but I'll say it. It seems like it was probably not a lot of people looking over this. Representative Richardson, something that the legislature might need to have some uh, conversation. It's
3: a real problem. And When she used the term review versus audit, Uh, Again, that is so critical that that, that your viewers understand the difference. The accounting firm that did the review of this is a very respected accounting firm in Febel. But, again, it is a very limited review. It's not a detailed audit of how these funds are being spent and how they're being utilized. And if you look at the numbers that they say that they're reporting on the face of it, it's in Fayetteville, it's one thing, but then when you start digging into it, it's almost 200 students more. Right. So we've got a real disconnect between accountability and taxpayers' funds. Uh, and it's, and it, again, it's not the, the people's fault that, that, that we've got in charge of it. We've just tied their hands so much in the General Assembly. And, and You know, the, my, my a teacher used to tell me that the, that the road to Hades is paved with good intentions. I understand the intentions of this was to give flexibility so that we could really try to fix problems, mm-hmm. but one of the most important things you can have in public trust is transparency, and right now we have no transparency in this, and it's got to change.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to leave that with uh, with, with the final word uh, from you. Thank you, Representative Richardson. We'll have to check back in with you and some of your colleagues to see uh, sort of if this sort of develops some more, and, and Catherine, uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. After the break, this week's final word. On our show, we have talked before about the lack of transparency and accountability in school choice efforts that are championed by our current General Assembly leadership, as well as U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. School choice advocates routinely make the case that schools like Trinity Christian Academy are held accountable by the only people that matter, the parents. If parents are happy, then who cares? Of course, what parents want matters a great deal. Private schools, charter schools, homeschooling, magnet, and traditional local schools are all part of North Carolina's education landscape now. And that's not inherently a bad thing at all. But what is bad, and frankly ought to be unacceptable to all of us, is to transfer millions of dollars away from our public schools into private, for-profit educational entities, while shielding them from even the most basic accountability and transparency. For $1 billion, is it really too much to ask that the private schools that accept taxpayer dollars provide an accounting of how that money is being spent? Or how about providing information about what curriculum is being taught? or how their students are doing compared to students in public schools or require that teachers pass a criminal background check or have some education beyond a high school diploma, how far of touch have we gotten on the proper use of precious state education dollars that we are completely fine with paying the salary of a convicted felon who embezzled nearly $400,000 from the state of North Carolina and is now behind bars on the weekend while teaching our children during the week? And shouldn't we at least explore why half of the top voucher schools are also emerging as big-time basketball factories? The Opportunity Scholarship Program and similar privatization and for-profit schemes in other states have been shown to be fertile ground for waste, fraud, and abuse. Before we spend another dollar, much less a billion more of them, we ought to demand real accountability, particularly at a time when our actual public schools continue to do more and more with less and less. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you soon.